Forest Podcast is supported by viewers, listeners, and businesses just like you. Looking for the best pool supplies? Look no further than Doheny's Pool Supplies. With a history dating back to 1967, this family-owned business offers everything families need to keep their pools clean and sparkling from chemicals to equipment. Plus, customers enjoy free shipping on all orders. Visit Doheny's Pool Supplies today at doheny.com, D-O-H-E-N-Y.com to learn more. Forest Bluff Real Estate Team serves Illinois, Wisconsin, Lake Forest, and Lake Bluff. John Josephitis, Laura Lee Van Fleet, and of course, Michelle Parnell. Get a free market analysis now at forestbluffrealestate.com. For the best cannabis in the world, look no further than Iliad Epic Grow. Owned by Lake Bluff's own Rich Ruzich, they are a cannabis cultivation center focusing on hard-to-find small batch products that will delight both the occasional user and Gangier. When visiting Michigan, ask for it by name, Epic Products, Exceptional Process. For more information, email info at iliadgrow.com. Havy Communications has been helping first responders arrive safely since 1983. It's owned by Lake Forest owned Mike Havy. Check them out at havycommunications.com. We'd also like to say we're thankful for our Patreon supporters. Matt A., Elizabeth C., Costa, Lance, Otto, RDM, John C., and Helen. Shout out to the Lake Forest Breakfast Group, Broadstop and Captain Mike's in Kenosha, the Greentown Tavern, and the Frolic Lounge in Waukegan. So if you had a magic wand, how do you fix it? Because there's people on both sides. Because people are going to say, oh, you just want to get rid of the teachers. Oh, you just want to get... No, man, we just want good scores. Well, yeah, I'm going to be market competitive. Yeah. I, so like kind of within the confines of the current structure, and I think this is kind of what we're doing at Parents Care, is I really believe that like every community needs um, a kind of a, a, a watchdog group that creates a level of accountability you just don't find in these government institutions. Um, really big picture, you know, if you're talking about like, my my idea of kind of a utopia is, you know, you have to kind of break the current system apart and allow competition and choice. Um, and I'm not I'm not just talking about like charter schools. I'm talking about like you talking like, like vouchers or. Yeah, I'd say kind of like a universal voucher system. I mean, I'd be in favor of supporting something, for example, where you know, taxpayers subsidized um, the, the voucher end and, and then you were able to use that um, in whatever school or district you wanted to. And perhaps you'd have, you know, to encourage kind of competition on pricing, you'd have like a rollover into a college savings fund. Um, but that's the way, you know, if you think about the, the way most of us um, live our lives, it's in the private sector, it's in the private sphere. And it's, it's usually where we're most happy. I mean, we don't complain about grocery stores to the same degree we do it with uh, public education, partly because I'd say mostly because we have a choice, you know, they're within um, vote with your feet, one town. Yeah. There's, I mean, what we've got, just think about Lake Bluff, Lake Forest, you know, you've got fresh market, you've got jewel, you've got Walgreens, CVS, Heinen's, and the list goes on sunset foods. So you've got all these choices and they're in competition with each other. They don't just say, you know, well, sorry, we're, you know, if, if, if the food's going rotten, for example, they don't say we're going to, you know, send an email to the community and we're going to hold a committee on it. And in three years, we're going to, 
you know, make sure that 70% of our food is fresh. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, it's a problem yeah. that's fixed the next day or else you go out of business. What, what is the, uh, what are both sides uh, talking about on the voucher system? Like why, why are so people against it? I know what I would be for it. I guess you would be for it, but like, what are, what is the argument? I'm trying to show both sides. Hey, Pete, and yeah. Pete, I think it's important to realize for the first time ever in Illinois, uh, the majority of Illinois citizens are in favor of school vouchers. You know, historically, okay. you know, they historically people would look at the voucher system and say, well, it's, it's complicated. It's hard to it's hard to fathom. But schools have dipped to such a low watermark, according to a recent poll, I think it was 63 percent of even Chicagoans. Uh, we're in favor of school vouchers. And that's the degree to which these public institutions, these structures and bureaucracies we've set up have failed the community. You know, people are people are literally now, they're, they're not okay anymore with with 10% of African-American kids being on, you know, being on grade level in math or English, or as a state, you know, looking at 25% competency in certain areas. People are just saying enough is enough. And it, I don't even think it's a financial argument anymore. It's, you know, the, the nonpartisan nature of the entire education question becomes what, 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 what service have we rendered our children? Interesting point, you know, school boards are down to about a fourth of what they were back in the 50s. Nationally, there's only about a quarter of the number of school boards that existed in the 1950s. I mean, parents, communities have, ab I don't want to say advocating, because that's kind of a negative connotation, but we've developed this professional education class that does little other than to assure its own thriving. Frank, would mm -hmm. you say that's true? Yeah, I'd say, you know, what's the, in terms of what is the argument against, I mean, it's primarily coming from teachers and administrators because they have a vested interest in the status quo. And the, the one thing I can say with absolute confidence, um, having worked in public education for over a decade, is if there's one kind of unifying rule between teachers and administrators and um, paraprofessionals and everyone in the system is that they're all devoted to preserving the system, no matter the costs or consequences. So, you know, they're, of course, they're going to, they're going to be against it. And, um, I think they they know the system's broken and dysfunctional. You, you a lot of conversations I'd have with people, they they got it. But what it comes down to is is um, dishonesty. I think some of that is intentional. I think some of it is kind of delusion. They they really want to believe that you know one day the perfect public education will be fixed with you know the right law or the right number of laws or policies or if we just get more money. I mean, you know, it's it's like the. I mean, I mean, really, it sounds like a ridiculous parallel, but, you know, when you talk about, when you look back in the history of the 20th century and communism, you know, I'd say, well, well, communism didn't work here, 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 and here, but if, if we just did this right, you know, or if we had, you know, if it was tried this way, or if people did this, I mean, that's all I heard, is that, like, there was always some new magic formula that would fix everything. It's just, it's ridiculous to think so. Um, and, and there's a lot of... Uh, propaganda that's been put out by teachers unions and by school districts to convince the public that, you know, there's no other way to do things than the way we've done them for a hundred years. And the record's terrible. I mean, at what point do people wake up? 
I, I hate pointing the finger without offering a solution. And I, I, I'm looking, look, I don't have any skin in the game, even though my taxes went up and I'm kind of, I'm pissed about that. I'm pissed because I helped promote, get the taxes brought up by promoting an agenda, propaganda of, of Montgomery coming on the show. That's my personal beef. That's nobody else's, you know, I call it how I see them. So now, okay, great. I get it. I see how this is, how this works. If there's 1,400 kids at the school, about 1,400, right? That's not a lot of people in the school. And if you don't like how the school is is running and you had a voucher system, like where would you go? New Trier? Like what's the options? I, I think what you'd see is, and there'd be kind of a process, but, um, you know, Right now, you can't. It's hard to imagine what the system would look like because, partially, because we're living within the confines of the current structure. So, um, you know, the example I use is if if you went back to you know the Soviet Union in the 1960s, and you know you're going to the the state grocery store, and someone says, "Well, God, you know, if there wasn't a state grocery store, where would people go to get their food?" I mean, there'd be no. Do you see any other grocery stores around here? Well, yeah. I mean if you look at it from that perspective within the confines of the current system, but we know that what happens is that when uh, there's freedom in the marketplace and um, there's kind of an influx of like, you know, capital outside of just one channel that we'd see lots of people would spring up to start creating schools. And, and I don't know how they look because I'm not smart enough to kind of and that's kind of the point of mastermind a system. I don't think anyone is. I think people would, a lot of people would come forward. Maybe there'd be pod systems. Maybe there'd be a combination of remote and in-person learning. And you probably wouldn't have these giant castle type school structures that, you know, funnel everyone into a single system. And there wouldn't be a one size fits all model. It would be very diverse. I believe your example of communism, I believe, and I'm sure somebody will point this out because we're 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 touching on uh some interesting things here that you know is gonna push somebody's buttons, but hey, whatever. In Russia, you want bread, you go to the bread store. You want meat, you go to the meat store. And the question is, is there inventory, you know, on the shelves? You just see long lines and you don't know what they're for. Hey, what do they got there? And you you know, stand in line. So maybe it would work where at Lake Forest High School, you got 1,400 kids going there. Maybe you don't offer the huge menu of classes, but you have the core basics there. And if you want to get uh, something on the long tail, Irish American history or whatever, whatever the class is, maybe you could combine that at a community college another high school and make things a little bit more more efficient that way that's my best uh yeah, guess yeah. on how to how, how, how to fix it you'd um, see a lot more efficiency i mean if you give like for example you give a public school $30,000 per student per year and you know they're never going to come back after a year and be like well too much money we'll give some of it back they're always going to find a need for a way to spend it. And they're always going to tell you like, hey, actually, it wasn't enough. It was barely, you know, the best you're going to get is, well, we just made it, but we could always use more. And that's kind of the point. There's no incentive to, to return that money. There's no incentive to, um, to, to be competitive because they don't have to be. 
so if anything, they're incentivized to go over budget so they can come back the next year and continue to ask for more and more money, which is kind of why public education over, if you look at kind of the trajectory throughout the 20th century, I mean, it's just the growth has been exponential. But students well, we can look at our the, the, same. The, the budgets have grown 24% in four years. Our own local budgets here have grown 24%. Our spending has gone up 24% in just four years when you look when you aggregate 67 and 115. But remember, Milton Friedman, you know, our favorite economist, always said you will never spend someone else's money efficiently as you spend your own. Again, it's it's a broken model, it's a disincentive. Now we accept some of those limitations, but when you have COVID going on and budgets are still going up 24%, I'd argue that that's, that's pretty much runaway spending. So again, using Frank's model, you know, because we're talking about darn near $30,000, but when you talk about having 10 kids to go to a school for $300,000 or 20 kids in a, you know, an environment for $600,000 and you kind of go, hmm, what, what would we do with this? Um, you know, certainly I think we would agree if even on the implementation side, we can do a lot better. What if you choose to send your kid to Woodlands? I'm guessing that's a lot of money, but I don't know if it's thirty thousand a lot. Could you just say, you know what, I'd like to opt out of that, and you know, I like to send my kid to Woodlands. That's how the voucher would work. It's like, don't tax me on this, or give me a credit based on what I'm sending my kid to private school. Well, there's different models in different states, but as you know, Florida, I haven't looked at the actual act that passed, but Florida just put in a statewide voucher system and, um, you know, it's being incredibly well received. They're saying, hey, we want to give parents a greater role in choosing the educational future for the children. Um, but what, what I've seen of it leads me to believe that it's basically, you know, you, if you're shelling this out, it comes as like basically like a tax credit. Yeah, I look at it like, you know, again, to use our same example, like the, the system like in Illinois, it's like, you know, Stalinism and the, the voucher system is like kind of like, OK, you got Khrushchev in there. You got like some reforms. It's a little bit better. I mean, I think obviously there's there's a sliding scale between like what's optimum and what's uh, real. But I, I really believe that uh, and maybe I don't know, maybe it will be in my lifetime. I, ho I hope so. But at some point, people will look back at this current model the way we look back on like mercantilism um you know they'll they'll look back and like wait a second you you did this is how you educated kids i mean it's a it's a it's a centrally planned uh system um now they like to say it's local but i mean for all intents and purposes the way it's structured i mean you have the school board and the administration and they're really in charge of you know centrally planning for an entire community um, I, I don't think, I think if, you know, if you gave the, imagine if you gave these guys, for example, if you banned, like, to use my example again, all grocery stores and let, you know, you weren't allowed to have Sunset um, or Jewel or any of these systems or grocery stores. And, you know, you put a, you put a board in charge of it and you hired administration. I mean, how do you think that would look? It would be a disaster. And then, you know, we said, well, you know, you, you know, we take X amount of money for you. Here's your grocery allotment. If you want to spend even more on top of that, you can go to like one or two private grocery stores in the area. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And, and I think it's so, it, you know, a lot of times you, you talk to this about people and they're kind of like, uh, they, like they kind of get you, but people have such a hard time imagining 
outside of the system because we've all gone through it and it's hard to think beyond like our own experience. Um, and you have like, you know, for example, our school district has a, has a communications department. I mean, you actually have these, you know, I, I call them like propaganda departments that their whole job, you've got a team of people that's job is to like put out information to the community in a way that makes the system look great. I mean, they never put out anything negative. You ever notice that? They never come out and say like, yeah, here's our, here's our weak Actually, area. Uh, I did see something negative come out oh, from the okay. school district. Uh, Jeff, did you see something come out most recently? That was a little... Wow. <laughs> well, are we talking about last Friday? <laughs> I think, I think if we're talking about last Friday, it's, um, I would say it's the gravest possible thing it could probably be um that you know that really i think it's it's a really tribute to the inefficiency and culture that exists in places like 67 and 115 you know they they for for, for the people in, that know what we're talking about jeff start start from sure sure well um friday morning an email was sent in the clear uh essentially enumerating uh, parents and families who have children with a 504 plan. What's a 504 um, plan? That's a, like a learning, a learning assistance plan, you know, and where, where, you know, you have children that, that may need special accommodation. It runs okay. the whole spectrum, spectrum of things, but basically it's it, in the clear. These people weren't BCC them. I imagine they were tended to be, but in the clear, it, it, it is it named 238 i think it was 238 uh emails of like hey your child with this 504 plan we're seeking to so these are over 200 email addresses of right kids that have special needs and of the parents notified of, the, of, the, parents. of the of the parents that have kids with special needs and they didn't even blind copy. They just CC'd and they had all the emails in there, right? Yeah, it, it was pretty, um, well, well, first of all, it's a violation of a really good law, FERPA. Um, and, you know, Family Educational Resource Protection Act outlines that this is confidential information. But again, it's like you're saying, Pete, this is somewhat akin to saying, um, here are the kids that are they're getting free lunch. Here are the kids that that you know got these scores on a test. I mean, this is this really stretches to the most confidential information uh, that really exists within the school system. And it's not about financial data. It's not about parents. It's not about families. It's literally about the students in '67. And so, imagine a one fell swoop. You've outed everybody who's got a child that's got a 504 plan. And it wasn't BCC, it was sent completely in the clear. And when this came through, I immediately started calling, saying, do you people really realize what you did? Do you understand? You, you basically, in the clear, you've enumerated all the confidentiality you profess to care about. But, but that's just the first step. The second step is, you know, the incredibly sensitive nature of these things, you've now exposed children to you know, putting out in the public domain highly sensitive information 
um, you basically named everybody who's in, who's in these programs. And a few, uh, you know, 30 some odd minutes later, an email came through, said, hey, sorry about this. Please um, delete please it. Delete, please delete the email. And uh, we're sorry okay. about any confusion. Now, now, think about that. Delete the information. Sorry about any confusion. That was the response to, to these 200 and some odd parents. And, and, and this is what I said. I said, when talking to the district later, I said, it's as if you said, hey, sorry, band parents. This was for the chorus parents, but inadvertently was sent to the band parents. So just don't worry about it. And, you know, no, and it's all done. And without even acknowledging the gravity of what they've done, I mean, we've seen the reaction in a part of this, the, these boards and this administration on things from, from, from raises and bond referendums. And, you know, you couldn't go into Sheridan or Everett at Cherokee and not trip over a pile of pamphlets about this bond referendum. Yeah. Now, you couldn't open an email from, in, from these other districts that had nothing to do with 115 and not see all these referrals, you know, and references to the bond referendum. We saw so, so this the mail. So, so, Jeff, this is external communications. Does this fall yeah. under Melissa Oakley? Well, this is this actually came out of special services or student services department. It wasn't something that came out of Melissa Oakley, but that was one of my questions too. I'm like, didn't your communications department? I mean, you have you have a full time communications department. You have consultants that are that are being paid by the district. Nobody looked at this stuff before you went out with this confidential information. It just went out in the open. I haven't been able to get an answer on that. But uh, and the second thing, Jeff, is they're using private email addresses. Well, it's 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 shocking on a number of levels. But Pete, let me share with you what I think is the worst part. Okay. Is as of right now, as of as of this time right now, two fifty six Tuesday afternoon, they've yet to acknowledge the the difficulties and the damages that they put these families and these children through. They instead have chosen, in my opinion, to sweep it under the rug in every possible way. They've they, they've literally sent out correspondence that said, "Hey, we included some emails on something that we shouldn't have." It's not about the emails. It's not about the disclosure. These emails are in the student directory. I can look up the parents' emails of the kid pretty easy. But yeah, it's, it's, it's the about, qualifying element of it. But it, it was an issue that this this was exposing highly confidential data that that is really a product of one of the most painful decisions you can go through as a parent to determine, hey, what am I am I going to seek accommodations for my kid or not? And they just literally, and, and the, only, the only word that comes to mind is flippant. It's a flippant response to what a number of people have gone through in a very, very painful personal way. And they refuse to acknowledge the, the pain they've caused families. If this and, happened, and look, if, Jeff, if this happened in the corporate world, what would happen to the person that hit that send button? Well, well, interestingly, you know, I'm in a financial services business, and I have millions of personal records that, it, that include names, addresses, phone numbers, social security numbers, credit records, address verifications, employment verifications. Um, well, it's it's a violation of a federal act. I don't see how I don't see how you would not hold somebody accountable to the ninth, you know, to the nth degree. How you would not, you know, publicly come forward in the, in the most honest way. And about about what happened and what you're going to do to address it, but in my in my mind, none of those things have happened. They've acknowledged that an email went out that shouldn't have, but if, unless you actually dug into it, 
you would think that, oh, somebody just put my email inadvertently on something. Well, hold, about, hold, hold, hold on now, because I'm pointing the finger at Melissa Oakley. Me, Pete Jansen says, she's like at the top of the chart, right? She's communications. Well, well with external communication, sure. But this came out well, of... um. Well, no, like, what I'm dude, saying is, because they... I believe there was an email that I saw came out that said, we're going to make some policy changes that you can't use your private email to send communications. That's, that's at the top, my friends. Well, listen, there was a, it, one of the pieces of correspondence did come out and use the, the district's uh, messaging service, I think was the term they used, but yeah, but but certainly the implication is the channel that's approved to disseminate information was not the one used. But again, these are the questions we, I've been firing at the district since Friday. I'm like, what exactly happened and how did it happen? Because, you know, this this affects a lot more than those 238 people who yeah. were who were exposed. This has implications for every student in the district. How what are these people doing with our kids information or our information? Yeah, I mean, it's an question. Yeah, this is something that has to be addressed by the superintendent. I mean, he's the, you know, head of the food chain um, at the school district and, and ultimately responsible for, you know, ensuring that um, these these systems are kind of in place and or at least holding the people accountable. And so, you know, it's not something I mean, whether it should be the head of the communications department or the head of the special education department. I mean, we asked you know, Dr. Montgomery to just be transparent um, with the community and tell them what happened and what steps are going to be taken to ensure it doesn't happen again. And, um, you know, ultimately what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to help him and the school district kind of give them some guidance on like, you know, here's how this probably should be handled. And here's how, you know, people we've been in touch with want it to be handled. And, um, you know, it's not to say gotcha, like, you know, um, a lot of, you know, what we've done um, prior to any, you know, releasing any email uh, or communicating with the public is, you know, we've tried to use back channels and um, make phone calls and, and send emails out and, you know, get them They're to never going to respond. They're never going to respond to me. They got what they want out of the vote. That's why I'm pissed. It's a trust thing. Um He's going to stick around till the next referendum needs to come up in some other county and some other state, and he's bye-bye. Uh, but, you know, going forward, how do we – what is the supervision? I mean, the school board, isn't this like one of the things that they would be – yeah. I, I think this has got to be addressed by the head of the school board. I mean, the superintendent rep reports to this elected regulatory body. This has got to be addressed by the school board of 67 – they have full knowledge of it because they've written them on this. Yeah. It's got to be addressed by the head of 67. It's got to be addressed by the superintendent to talk about what controls were in place, what got violated, and how it's not going to happen again. I mean, this everyone, everybody in the community is at risk. And I can tell you this, Pete, maybe it's because of my role of parents care. Maybe it's just because I speak up at meetings sometimes. I've had over a dozen people reach out to me, totally unsolicited, totally unencouraged reach out to me and said, this is not the first time my child's 504 information or IEP information has been violated. And of course, yeah. you know, it's like you're witnessing a crime. You say, hey, look, you got to report it to the administration. And almost to a person, they said, I have, and they haven't done anything. And I'm like, well, that's, that's truly sad. 
because you can hear the frustration in these parents' voice about like, look, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a victim. I, I've my kids' information has been exposed. They've been compromised, but the district just wouldn't do anything about it. And you know, I mean, it's it's a very well, helpful and, and then people point the finger and say, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. This is why conspiracy theories pop up because you're not transparent. So, look. Our nature, the way we're wired, is very defensive, okay? Everything right. is a threat. And when you don't give us the information, we feel a threat. That's why. So you're going to sweep it underneath the rug. Technology today, everybody's connected. The more that you do this type of stuff, this pendulum swinging the other way, my friends. You can't get a, you can't get away with this stuff. So, well, you know, go, yeah. go ahead, Jeff. No, I was going to say, Peter, I, I would submit to you that this is really, again, about the genesis of parents' care. You know, we all do better with supervision. We all do better with oversight. In these school districts, it seems to me, given the response that I've seen now from four different people within this district now, as of today, and in a host of other issues, is they, it, it's, I, again, I don't want to make this personal to anybody, but but it's almost like they feel they, they've gotten away with with everything for so long. I mean, you know, you, you've been on, Pete, we've done that discussion. We're school, we're school, you know, academic achievement in history here. Greatest spending in history, higher admin accounts in history. And, and in the wake of the bond referendum, what's the first thing to do? Pass raises for the admins. These people have gotten away with everything for so long. I, I feel there's a perception that anything goes. They, they, they literally got to run it out. School's going to be out in a couple of weeks. We're fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And I'm not even speaking of malicious intentions. I'm not even saying it's a conscious thing. But the fact is they've got away with this for so long. It's almost, it's well, almost it, beyond. It, it's two things. You know, there, there's, no, there's no fear of repercussions, so I don't have to be accountable. And number two, there's lethargy on the voting public that only 7,000 people voted to get their taxes raised by, you know, thousand bucks a year. And I think it starts with what you guys are doing at Parents Care by, by educating people and overcoming that hump of, oh, you're just negative, you're this and that. No, there's, a, there, there's two sides to the coin. The one side of the coin, there is a communications department there is a propaganda department and why it's propaganda is there's no incentive for them to tell any negative news sure. <laughs> right or be honest what's the incentive uh, for them to be so well it's not just it's not that they're lying they're just not going to talk about it that's all so well i but i would offer that if we look at the response to this particular incident we're discussing right now I mean, look, it's, it's clearly an attempt to obscure the true nature of what happened. They've, they have not come out and, and really addressed a, a significant security breach and, and how it happened and what they're going to do about it. And nobody's really accepted accountability for it. The, you know, the third email said, I won't make excuses. And I had a conversation with that person this morning and said, that's all you've done is make excuses to this point. I... No, look, people deserve better. Our community deserves better. The technology person that's in place, the vetting process process that's in place by communications, the superintendent, 
hey, to get 105 million, there was a hell of a process in place to get that. There's a lot of things that are going down the line here. I, I think what I'm guessing, and then Frank, I'll look for your input on this is, do we start with the school board meeting? Does somebody go up to the lectern and do their three minute comment on, on this? We're doing the podcast. What else can we do to make sure that there is some accountability on this? Because somebody needs to leave the system that did this. Yeah, I, I think that what's going to happen is is probably going to happen in stages. And it's, it's going to be a process over probably years where what, what we're first trying to do is, is to change the culture in a positive way. And, you know, how that happens, you know, again, it, it does, you know, can, what, can parents care like directly go in and like tell them like, this is what you need to do. And this is what you're, no, and that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is also, you know, provide information to the public, guidance, um, create a, a layer of accountability, create transparency, and then the public should, you know, do their part and, and vote in certain ways. And vote. And, and vote. And, and, you know, hopefully you'll see school boards evolve to become more reflective of a more um, engaged citizenry. And, um, you know, if you had to look, say, maybe five, six years down the road, there's been a culture shift, there's been a shift in the school board, then what comes next is, you know, I like to think that then our job becomes kind of uh, twofold is one to kind of continue to exist as a watchdog organization. Uh, because I think as long as you have these, you know, large units of government that are very expensive, you're always going to need a watchdog organization or several. And and two then is that, you know, we have an opportunity also to come in and, and to work together as partners. Now, right, you know, initially that's not going to happen. It may not happen for years, but that's kind of, I think, you know, those are kind of two kind of goals we see. And, and not to say that, you know, I, Frank McCormick or Jeff, Jeff Brincat is going to come in and, and meet with the school board or meet with uh, the superintendent. They're not going to meet with you guys. Right. Well, it, you know, again, down the road, you know, if we get to a right. point where, where that can happen, doesn't mean that we're going to do that as individuals, but on behalf of parents, you know, where we can kind of serve as, because a lot of times parents, you know, one, they don't have the time. Um, they may not want to put their face out there, but they may want to come to us and we may be able to bring concerns kind of as like liaison. So just like, look, you imagine that you have these other organizations out there that, you know, for example, provide accountability for the police force and and, and, and watch them and, and meet with them. I think, no, I think Frank, you're underestimating the power that you guys have. Are you, are you guys at 14,000 on Facebook? Something like that. 20,000. 20,000. Yeah. Holy crap. You went up 6,000 since the last time we talked, Jeff. Well, I'm chalking it up to you, Pete. You know, that's how popular <laughs> show. Well, Lisa, people commit that they like you. Nobody will commit that they like me. The power that you guys have is pressure with a survey, like some of them that you've done, it says, hey, should somebody be accountable for this breach? Yes or no? And then you, you bring that to the school board and say, look, this is the pressure that we have here. What are you going to do about it? And you keep organizing this. Because you had 7,000 vote for the referendum. You got 20,000 that are keeping an eye on you guys. I can't think that there, there's that many people paying attention that aren't voters. So we just have to stay on this. And, uh, hey, communication, people, conspiracy theorists, all that stuff. Why do we have this wasted energy? It's stuff like this. 
guys, I'm going to work on getting this thing out as soon as possible um, and then see if we get a response from somebody. Jeff, I'll leave it with one last question I have for you. Sure. The conspiracy stuff. Now, this is me, and I'm not a conspiracy guy, but I've all I can do is react to the things that I've seen done to me personally and professionally on the show. In order to get a FOIA, you have to use communications within the system to get the, the uh, information you're looking for. You can't get it if it's a Gmail, right? Well, here's the thing. If they use Gmail for, for business purposes, now you've exposed Gmail to discovery. Exactly. Yeah. So Gmail is used for disseminating information. Now that's all discoverable, just like a personal device um, yeah. that somebody had to go from, from this other email or this other mechanism and stuff like that. And the reason I'm going there, and this is, I, I can see, I can feel the people rolling their eyes, but isn't this where Clinton had the problem with her own server on the email and didn't use the government server? Didn't this cause all that problems before? Well, it, it certainly, it certainly compromised the ability to secure information that should be secured. Right? All right. I hate to throw and, that out there. I know people are going to be pointing at the screen right now, but this is why. This is why this stuff happens, and we can't. Ha well, we have to get to the bottom of it. The, the private emails, doing the communication that that that's a big one. And I'm I'm starting with Melissa Oakley, number one, our superintendent, number two, and number three, the president of the school board. Well, Pete, as you as you probably remember from prior conversation, I ran a state agency under two governors. Um, and, and this was something we always dealt with in the agency about, about information security, confidential information. We had all kinds of licensing information, financial information. A lot of stuff was compromised and was certainly highly personal. And, and I can tell you the standards. Now, this is, this right. is regular government, state of Illinois, you know, business. And in, in, in this regulatory body, it was highly confidential. It was highly secured. It was highly orchestrated. Um, I, I can't imagine how you would have this stuff coming out of unrestricted files for just open dissemination. And and I can tell you, you know, as a result of, of all the training I've had over years and years with FOIA, anything now is discoverable. And that's, you know, you, you don't want to put that burden on people. You have these mechanisms yeah. set up to not only ensure information security, and ensure proper employee records retention. You know, you, you want to make sure that all communications are memorialized because the FOIA process is something that exists for that reason. You know, yeah. these people, for us as, as taxpayers, as, as citizens, the, the business they're doing is discoverable. And especially, Pete, no matter what, it's because it's our children. It's our children. That's right. They decided to create this information breach, not us. And that's why the idea that people in the district were firing back, well, what do you, well, hold on, I didn't create this problem. You did. Yeah. You're the one who created these kids. So, uh, look, I'll, I'll be, I hope they'll do the right thing. I, I have little faith, but yeah. I mean, I hope they acknowledge the pain and difficulties that they put these families through. I mean, Pete, is there a harder decision than, than these types of things you deal with when your kids, you know, individual education, you know, paths and, um, and to literally treat it in a totally cavalier and flippant way they have, it to me, it's shocking. I don't think they're that smart to be cavalier. I think it's just there's so, been so little oversight that they didn't know any other way to act. 
but 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 think about those raises after the bond referendum. Was that laziness or was that hubris or was it just we don't care? I mean, I think it's the same type of thing. You're 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 right. They have it. They've had it their own way for so long, and they just figure they can kind of get away with anything in my mind. And you know what? They won't they won't talk to you guys. Now that they got their money, they're not going to talk to me anymore. So we have all this wasted energy, and they do stupid things like this. So we'll see what happens, boys. Frank McCormick, Jeff Rencat, Lake Forest Lake Bluff Parents Care, Lake Forest Podcast School Edition, this breaking news event, data breach. Do you want to call it data breach, Jeff? It's exactly what it is. The Lake Forest Podcast is supported by viewers, listeners, and businesses just like you. Looking for the best pool supplies? Look no further than Doheny's Pool Supplies. With a history dating back to 1967, this family-owned business offers everything families need to keep their pools clean and sparkling from chemicals to equipment. Plus, customers enjoy free shipping on all orders. Visit Doheny's Pool Supplies today at doheny.com, D-O-H-E-N-Y.com to learn more. Forest Bluff Real Estate Team serves Illinois, Wisconsin, Lake Forest, and Lake Bluff. John Josephitis, Laura Lee Van Fleet, and of course, Michelle Parnell. Get a free market analysis now at forestbluffrealestate.com. For the best cannabis in the world, look no further than Iliad Epic Grow. Owned by Lake Bluff's own Rich Ruzich, they are a cannabis cultivation center focusing on hard-to-find small batch products that will delight both the occasional user and Gangier. When visiting Michigan, ask for it by name, Epic Products, Exceptional Process. For more information, email info at iliadgrow.com. Havy Communications has been helping first responders arrive safely since 1983. It's owned by Lake Forest own Mike Havy. Check them out at havycommunications.com. We'd also like to say we're thankful for our Patreon supporters. Matt A., Elizabeth C., Costa, Lance, Otto, RDM, John C., and Helen. Shout out to the Lake Forest Breakfast Group, Broadstop and Captain Mike's in Kenosha, the Greentown Tavern, and the Frolic Lounge in Waukegan.